0: plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Living Room Logic. Welcome back to Season 2 of
0: Living Room Logic. This final episode, we shed some light on the contentious topic that is climate change. And being a climate biologist, Aidan explains why he's not afraid
1: of our future. Turn up the heat by following or subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts, And check out our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Living Room Logic to join our logical following. A big shout out to FameLab who supported this whole season, especially as they're celebrating their ninth and final year in Ireland. They really helped us this season, so help us help them by tuning into the competition's national final, which will take place on September 30th of this year.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Living Room Logic, and this week we have a... Slight turn left from what we usually talk about, where mm-hmm. this week we have a climate expert and someone who's terrified. And what's really special about this interview is that we're not actually changing the cast of the podcast at all. <laughs> <laughs> we are it because I am the person who is terrified. And Aiden is in fact a climate expert. We he's my May Edo, but really he's Dr. Aiden Long. And he th- this is his shenanigans. But me, back to me. Um, I'm terrified. <laughs> and I'd say I am probably like most people, fully aware of the fact that there is a climate emergency, fully aware that there is all of these things going on in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I have problems of my own <laughs> and it, and it is very difficult to both deal with my problems and really take in All of the problems around the world. I think it's the same feeling I would get looking at, like, a ad of someone of, like, help the kids in Africa. And it's like, okay, I'm going to put all my pennies in a box and that will cure AIDS, right? It's it's like this completely detached thing. So, yeah, I I, I do the cycles. I, I cycle a bicycle and I recycle. And I'm like, yeah, that's me helping. But... It's not, (laughs) and we'll talk about that, I think. It is helping, but it's like, you know, it's like putting a bandage on an amputee. It's not really going to get you over the edge. So, Aiden, my dear Aiden, I would love to turn to you and say, look, man, every time you make me feel scared, I'm going to take a drink, but I I, I think I would die. So I'm just going to drink to soothe myself, and uh, I advise you at home to do the same. So, Aiden, you have a story for us you do tell.
1: Thank you for introducing that climate change is massive it's a you know it is it's so scary but I think to give ourselves a bit of perspective we need to go really far back in time first the story starts very very long time ago and I have a story I put together of some times when the climate went a little bit hoo-ha okay? okay so the Earth's climate has changed a lot over time. And this is because the Earth's oceans and atmosphere change a lot. Physically, chemically, biologically, all of the all of the things have changed, okay? Lay it out. And I really want you to notice how each of these major events were caused by either something being added or removed from the Earth's system, okay? So keep note of that, okay? Yes, sir. And just notice that this was all in the past. This has all already happened. Kumbaya, okay? Great. So our first example brings us back to 2.5 billion years ago, okay? Quite a while away, when the oceans actually turned red and lots of stuff died.
0: Oh, great.
1: So basically what happened was that tiny microscopic plants in the ocean called cyanobacteria pumped a load of oxygen into the ocean atmosphere system for the first time in Earth's history, okay? So this is the first time ever that that happened. Oxygen was never in the atmosphere before that all right and actually the weird thing was since there was actually a load of iron in the Oceans at the time this reacted with the oxygen and caused the oceans to pretty much rust Which is really okay. weird so that is odd the, imagine you're an alien going past Earth 2.5 billion years ago. You didn't mm-hmm. go past the blue planet. You went past a red planet, which is really cool
0: That's nuts. Yeah,
1: yeah it is really crazy to think about how different it was Weirdly enough, at the same time, multicellular plants evolved. So, in a weird way, this was actually a good thing for plants because it actually forced them to adapt and evolve rapidly, which is really weird, okay? Yeah, okay. So, our next example is at uh, 700 million years ago. So, we've already jumped a load of time towards us in the present, okay? Man, this is so crazy, but the Earth was... Almost entirely covered in ice for 190 million years. What? (laughs) Were there dinosaurs around then? No, so... um,
0: No popsicle dinosaurs hanging around.
1: Life as we know it evolved about 500 million years ago. Oh, wow, okay. So this is before animals as we know it evolved, okay? Okay. And actually really funnily There was this little 10 million year Warm period In the middle And they have Absolutely no idea Why there's just like At some point In those 200 million years Of the earth Being just a big snowball That (laughs) there's just this like Warm bit in the middle Just for funsies You know So just before This huge glacial era Most of the oceans Were warm and shallow And this caused The land masses To be weathered down So much That this caused A huge lock up Of CO2 Mm -hmm in ocean sediments as carbonates okay and so the period was nicknamed snowball earth and the average temperature of the earth's surface was about minus 20 degrees uh, celsius and that's the same temperature as antarctica today which is just mental that was across the entire planet it would be completely unrecognizable to what it is today kilometers thick of ice sheets close to the equator north and south The crazy thing is this is the only time that this sort of thing ever happened before, and apparently the only way the earth bounced back from this was super intense volcanism near the end of the glacial period. So there was lots and lots of volcanoes and plate tectonics and lots of the earth's crust breaking up and doing crazy things, okay? Okay. And that got us out of that mess. Not
0: okay, but go on.
1: (laughs) It's given us some perspective. Okay. So another 300 million years later, and this is now during the time where animals and, and fish and it's actually during the time of fish called the Devonian. And we actually talked about this in a, in a yeah. previous episode. But, you know, just to remind ourselves that actually during this time between 420 and 360 million years ago, the oceans regularly turned green the entire ocean system and were either devoid of oxygen or toxic in many places. Jesus. And and what's crazy is this happened because vascular plants evolved and colonised practically all of the land masses that were around at the time because of that new source, that new life on land. You know, generations and generations of dead plants would form nutrient-rich regions which got eroded and this acted as a new Huge flux of nutrients into the oceans. Okay, all this nutrients caused what's known as green algal blooms. Right, they can be really deadly at high abundances. All right, and these sure. cause lots and lots of death in the ocean. As as a result, it was one of the five biggest mass extinction events in Earth's history. Mm. And so, I hope this is giving everyone lots of optimistic ideas about about the future of the Earth. But this is all to do with changes in, in large sources of, of things in new systems. Yeah. And so the, maybe the most comparable example to today about 55 million years ago so actually after the non-avian dinosaurs were killed off by that asteroid that was 10 million years before but 10 million years after that when the earth basically got really damn hot really freaking fast okay
0: sounds sounds about right yeah
1: and and at this point in time the earth was at the end of a really long natural warm phase and temperatures were at a bammy 18 degrees celsius on average Mm-hmm. And so while this is only You know it's only a couple degrees more Than today's average This this means that the, the equator Was about 55 degrees celsius on average So animals and plants Wouldn't have been able to survive there And it also means that Subtropical zones ranged as far north As Greenland and as far south As Patagonia in Argentina And man it's crazy There's actually fossil evidence Of alligators in uh, patagonia in the very no southern tip of argentina I'm and anxious. in greenland where there's literally glaciers <laughs> right now it's insane and so it's from that same um, time period so on land things were actually going great because like you know life was booming in polar regions almost you know But in the oceans, there was this abrupt extinction event which killed a shit ton of marine species. And then even they have evidence from this in rock cores as far south as Antarctica, which is mad. So even as far south, that's where marine life in the oceans were dying off. Researchers think what tipped this warming event was a huge release of methane reserves in the deep sea from underwater avalanches just off the coast of eastern U.S. That released a massive amount of methane, okay? And the weirdest thing is that the amount of carbon released into the atmosphere per year at that time is actually comparable to the amount of carbon which humans release into the atmosphere today.
0: Oh that's interesting.
1: It's very cool and we can talk about numbers a little later, but it mm. just keep that in mind. And what is equally scary is that this event it's called the Paleocene Eocene Thermal Maximum. Extremely creative of them. We just call it the Hot Boy. We just slapped some letters together and had at it. First guy <laughs> to pronounce
0: it could name it.
1: <laughs> but the crazy thing about it was that it happened over about 2,000 years. So that methane released over about 2,000 years. And, and how many years ago was this? 55 million years ago. Uh-huh. Okay? okay. And so 2,000 years, that's really comparable. To our time Because it's about the same amount of time That humans have been changing the climate Or at least it's on a similar scale To how we might change our climate in the future True So the overall take home message of this And it's not to scare you Because all this stuff happens And the earth is always bounced back Every time Mm. But the take home is that The earth's climate moves between stable states And if you add or remove a major source of carbon in the Earth's system, the climate can be swung into a volatile state before the climate sorts its shit out again. Yes. And another huge point is that these changes usually happen over millions of years. And the most recent rapid changes, as we said, was during that warm event 55 million years ago. The fact that it took 2,000 years of rapid methane release to warm the Earth up by 5 degrees... Today, we've managed to increase the Earth's climate by one degree over about 150 years. So it might yeah. actually be even faster than what happened about 55 million years ago.
0: Yeah. So all those times you were like, hey, not trying to scare you, but you were lying. <laughs> <laughs> you were just gotcha. that, you, you, you reeled us in because uh, the whole time, you know what? I just kept thinking. I was like, oh, cool. OK, so so this. These things happened in history, yeah? They happened and we bounced back. And, you know, it's something that I'll be able to tell my kids. Don't worry, kids. The Earth in about 55 million years will bounce back and you're... No, humans will probably have died out or evolved or something by then. Mm. But but the Earth will be fine.
1: Well, (laughs) that thermal maximum 55 million years ago, it took 2,000 years of methane input. But it actually lasted the lasting effects of that warming took about Mm. 200,000 years for the climate to sort it out. So it took a long time.
0: Well, look, the the bright side is that I'm more informed. (laughs) The the downside is that I am more informed about the fucking <laughs> situation you know because you were talking about the snowball earth earlier right and you were like what do you think happened that got rid of it and i was like i don't know the industrial revolution did something <laughs> like that happen did did it just peek its head around and some steam engine come in and warm yeah, up the earth yeah um because that's kind of what's happening and um, it's it's not okay <laughs> it is not okay in We've done naughty things. We've been very bold. <laughs> we, we are richer. We are, for the most part, more powerful. We are mm. able to take our existence into our hands. We're comfortable. Being alive today is better than being alive at any other time in history. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that this might be transient, <laughs> and things might go steeply downhill <laughs> after this, okay? We seem to be in a constant phase of things like, you know, your your friendly neighborhood CO2 level, which just keeps on rising. Where <laughs> in, in 2020, it hit 417 parts per million. What does that mean? Well, the last time it was this high was about 4 million years ago, so that sucks. this has um gone up about a hundred parts per million in the last 60 years so we're at what 417 now we were at about 360 years ago and like the moment you were talking about 55 million years ago at that point co2 was at about 800 parts per million Mm. So, so we're about halfway there i think at this point I'd like to meet the person who can go through an entire existence without understanding or meeting what greenhouse gases are and what they do. But naturally, CO2, greenhouse gas, methane, like Edo talked about, Mm. greenhouse gas, essentially heats up the earth. And oh boy, is the earth warm. It's like cuddling under too many blankets when you get a little bit sweaty and you're just not really comfortable anymore. We're at that stage. It's, uh, you know, every every summer you get to turn on the news station and California's on fire. And at Christmas, Australia's on fire. So, you know, it's um, we're kind of seeing the extremes come to us. Mm-hmm. Sorry if my tone is a little bit dismissive. I'm a little bit terrified and disconnected from my emotions at the moment. The Arctic is screwed. Like, just say bye to it. Um, like, I... It's melting and every, I think every year David Ashenborough comes out with a new documentary where he, it's like a series of clips from like black and white to his life's work. And at the very end is like a polar ice sheet collapsing into the ocean, never to be recovered. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. Uh, (laughs) It is. It's not nice. Um, There (laughs) is a significant amount of dropping. The area of ice goes up and down every single year but it never reaches the same height as it did the year before Mm -hmm. it is a progressive thing that continually seems to be getting worse it's just one of those things. I don't, it's, it's hard to talk about, but I think it's really important to be informed about this. And in you're the one who knows what they're talking about. I'm talking through the eyes of someone who's terrified. Mm-hmm. But um, the permafrost, when I think of the phrase permafrost, I actually think of like the Thor movies. And mm-hmm. like the permafrost is crashing or whatever they're saying then. In reality, permafrost means things that are frozen all year long. You're thinking at the North and South Pole. There's a whole region in Siberia, which is in North Russia, and it is frozen for as long as there have been records all year long. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Not anymore. Some of these (laughs) areas of permafrost are melting. And what's even worse about this is they are releasing gases that were held inside which further accelerates global warming Mm -hmm. it's like uh,
1: kicking you whilst you're down but to be fair we kicked first (laughs) I think there is a good point to make though like again it comes back to this uh, long term past look at things okay and the earth's climate goes through these huge cycles over every 100,000 years they go from warm Mm. gradually to cold Gradually to a warm peak down to a cold dip up to a warm peak, all right? That's called a Milankovitch cycle. It's because of the Earth's tilt and that changes our orbit, makes it like a rugby ball and then Mm. it goes from a rugby ball to a perfect circle back to a rugby ball. That's called eccentricity. Don't need to worry about it too much. Every 100,000 years, it gets from warm-er to cold-er, okay? And that's a couple degrees. Like, that can can have a significant effect, okay? Of course, Right now, We're in the middle of a very cold phase, but I think that is why a lot of kind of climate deniers and people who don't think that this is a human problem is Mm. because we are actually in a cold dip. And so the, the Earth is cold right now. This is one of the first times in Earth's history where there's actually been ice caps on the North and South Pole. That's it's only crazy. ever happened about two or three other times. I mean, there was that time where the earth was completely covered in ice mm, yeah. for two hundred million years, but uh that was that was a once off. We're in a cold period, but we're actually coming out of it.
0: Okay. And we're so
1: we're on the up from a minimum. I mean, there's been several glacial events, the mm. last one being about fifteen thousand years ago. They're like mini ups and downs in this much larger peak and trough that is 100,000 years. And so we are naturally as a planet getting warmer. Okay. And so there is a certain amount of what is happening right now is because of natural processes. But there's that whole other part that you're (laughs) talking about that aren't caused by natural processes. The only Mm. other thing that researchers can really get it from is our input of carbon into the atmosphere
0: we're naturally getting warmer right we're naturally getting a little bit warmer but we're kind of kicking the dog and getting mad when it bites it's like it's going to get hotter and then we're like oh sure it's going to get hotter anyway we might as well turn the thermostat all the way up and Mm. it's adding to itself and accelerating the process is that a reasonable
1: yeah that's what you would call a positive feedback loop I would call it a dumb decision. <laughs> uh, but, but you have to think of it this way. If you were to take humans out of the equation and the Industrial yes, Revolution sir. never happened and yes, instead sir. all of the factories in the earth blew up and we were like, oh, we're not going to try that again. Back to the spears, you know. <laughs> it would take hundreds of thousands of years to get to about 400 parts per million where we are right now oh god and, and and that is again okay. the point it, there that rate of change is so important I was hmm. watching this presentation about two weeks ago from the world's climate experts one of them is uh, a guy called Jim Hurl okay and he's amazing he's got hundreds of publications to do with climate change and he showed this graph it was our our, our carbon levels Over the past 800,000 years. And there was this line. And it was a red line that went across. And for the whole 800,000 years. The graph. Never went over this line. Okay. Never went over. Never went over. 800,000 years. Right at the end. The graph. Shoots. Directly vertical. (laughs) Way past. The line. Okay. And so that's the point the rate of change is unprecedented yeah. and and really the only thing we can compare to is when there was this ridiculously weird burp of methane <laughs> 55 million years ago they call it the burp of death like you know BBC yeah. came out and called it that you know um, it's really <laughs> catchy true. but it's right like you know th- yeah. it is as if we're doing something very similar
0: the takeaway from climate change and all of that and there's a lot of people who deny it, is that, yes, the climate should be naturally warming, but it shouldn't be this hot for another few thousands of years. It's like rolling a ball down a hill, and mm-hmm. it will naturally roll downhill. But if you put a Bugatti Veyron downhill and tell them to accelerate, it's gonna go way faster. And <laughs> you can't be like, well, it was downhill; it was gonna go there anyway. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's- and 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 we'll talk about. How we might get out of this mess later on. But I think that even if it was 10,000 years, we would have so much time to prepare and to get ready and to know. But us humans, when something is on fire, we put it out. But before it's on fire, we don't really know that that's going to happen. And we tend not to do things before. We tend to do things after. Scrounge break. Off in the distance is a timid science podcaster. They seldom emerge from the poorly soundproof room only in response to the distinct ding of a microwave or the door knock of a Deliveroo driver. Support this fragile species by donating to patreon.com forward slash livingroomlogic and get some exclusive stuff in the process. You clever motherfuckers.
0: I am terrified to ask, but like... What if we didn't make any significant changes and we all went about ourselves, like myself, I will admit, worrying about our own lives and trying to, you know, live a personal, private, happy life and with a bit of ignorance to climate change. What if we kept doing that? What would happen?
1: I know people are sick of the science. The way that we scientists communicate this topic is terrible. It's all doom and gloom and it's all cat catastrophe, okay? The reality is that we actually do have the ability to reverse this and the body that is in charge of accumulating all of the information about climate change is this crowd called the International Panel on Climate Change. Um, The IPCC for short, right? These guys are like my rock stars. Like I, as as an ecologist who studies climate science and climate biology, I love this stuff, okay? Recently, they came out with a report about 1.5 degrees of warming and what it would actually mean, like what it would actually mean to the regular person in different parts of the world and how we might actually try and cap our impact just by one and a half degrees. One of the craziest things about the report as well is that they gave a press release and in the press release they weren't allowed Mm. to put these three scenarios in there. One of them is quite hopeful, the other two aren't (laughs) so. Ah, okay. But they actually weren't allowed to put these into the press conference because people, they thought that it would actually call, cause a proper panic. And so it never came out. But it's in the report. If you if you go to page 276, it's right there. But who the hell goes to page 276? Who Not actually me. reads the proper <laughs> report? It's just us. It's just the, the yeah. people who study climate change. But I pulled these out because, honestly, I wanted to give my own take on this. But they've done an incredible amount of work these guys have been working on this for 15 20 years coming up with a report every four or five years about what's wrong yeah what could happen if we do nothing and what could happen if we do a lot and they actually give ex- exact solutions to to how we we might change these things but but as i will explain a lot of these are, are quite drastic, these changes. Mm. The first one here is a best case scenario, okay? There's three scenarios. Best case scenario, mid case scenario, worst case scenario. Are you ready? Okay. This is their best case scenario. And I've paraphrased it a little bit because sometimes it gets a bit too sciencey. Yeah,
0: let's get rid of that crud.
1: So look, best case scenario in 2020, strong participation and support of the Paris Agreement and its ambitious goals for reducing CO2 emissions by an almost unanimous international community led to a timeframe for net zero emissions that is compatible with halting global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. That's really, really optimistic. So in a nutshell, by 2100, global mean temperature is on average degrees warmer than it was in 2020 in mid latitudes frequent hot summers and rain tend to be more intense yes sir coastal communities struggle with increased flooding associated with rising sea levels and more frequent and intense heavy rainfall and some respond by moving in many cases with consequences for urban areas in the tropics in particular, in megacities, there are frequent deadly heat waves which are extremely challenging to mitigate. While some climate hazards become more frequent, developed countries have prepared for these hazards, and although poor and disadvantaged groups continue to suffer from the effects of the increased climate events, the Earth system, while warmer, is still recognisable compared to the 2000s, and no major points of no return are reached crop yields remain relatively stable and the total economic damage of climate change is relatively small although there are some local losses associated with extreme weather events human well-being remains overall similar to that of 2020
0: that sounds like manageable
1: that sounds good right that sounds good that's the best case scenario (laughs)
0: I I'm trying to make an analogy in my head. What is, these descriptions are like, okay, do you want the nice curry or do you want the curry that's too hot or the one that's hotter than that? Yeah. <laughs> do you want do you want the so do you want this lovely one or do you want the one that will burn your mouth out mm-hmm. or the one that will burn all the way through you?
1: <laughs> and on a serious note, as someone who's read these reports and you know, I, I've I've spent years of my life going through the effects of this on, on particularly on zooplankton on and jellyfish and fish communities around around the world. Think of the salmon. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> my honest take on this is that there there is another section in that best case scenario where they talk about the actual things that we need to do and it's a lot. And actually to be honest, I think it's too much. I think there's too much there compared to what is the status quo right now. So my my honest opinion is that I think we're going to come into something more like the middle case scenario. And this is just a hypothetical situation, okay? But I, I think it might be quite similar. So the international community continues to largely support the Paris Agreement. However, these targets are not ambitious enough to reach stabilisation at two degrees warming, let alone one and a half degrees Celsius. There's an increase in deadly heatwaves in major cities, droughts in southern Europe, southern Africa and the Amazon region, and major flooding in Asia. These all lead to increasing levels of public unrest and political destabilisation. An emergency global summit in 2025 moves to much more ambitious climate targets and actions taken. Costs for rapidly phasing out fossil fuels while using rapidly expanding renewables to reduce emissions are high and this results in considerable economic losses around the world. Temperature peaks at 2 degrees of warming by the middle of the century before decreasing again owing to intensive implementation of bioenergy plants with carbon capture and storage reaching two degrees celsius of warming for several decades eliminates or severely damages key ecosystems like coral reefs mangroves and tropical forests which leads to a much reduced levels of coastal defense from storms winds and waves these changes increase the vulnerability and risks facing communities in tropical and subtropical regions with consequences for many coastal communities These impacts are being amplified by steadily rising sea levels and intensifying storms. Increasing water stress causes crop yields to decline significantly in the tropics, which puts pressure on food prices, driving elevated rates of food insecurity, hunger and poverty. By 2100, warming has decreased but is still stronger than 1.5 degrees Celsius. And yields of some tropical crops are recovering. Several of the remaining natural ecosystems experience irreversible climate change related damages whilst others have been lost to land use change with very rapid increases in the rate of species extinctions. Migration, forced displacement and loss of identity are extensive in some countries reversing some achievements in sustainable development and human security. Total economic impacts of climate change damage are small but the loss in ecosystem services creates large economic losses. The health and well-being of people generally decrease from 2020, while the levels of poverty and disadvantage increase considerably. Okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot
0: to take in. I am not okay. That was very heavy, because it, it essentially kind of sounded like, yeah, nature is screwed but will generally be okay.
1: It is sad, but it's actually also optimistic because 10% of the people in the world are are the richest and have have the majority of the wealth, but they actually have the majority of the waste and the carbon emissions. The carbon footprint of the richest people on the planet are tens to even hundreds of times more than the poorest of people. So I think it's up to the richest of society to understand and to claim their footprint and try and reduce it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's almost a 100% chance that if you are coming across this podcast that you are in that group. Having the luxury to listen to a podcast that makes you so depressed, um, you must be rich. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the main thing, I think you might correct me here is to maybe be very aware of it when voting comes around, because things like this take a it takes a country, not an individual. Individuals help, but you it needs to be national, mm-hmm. a national move. I, I imagine I assume as a fear mongerer, not a <laughs> not a climate scientist.
1: You have to realise that what those examples that I just gave have thousands of academic papers and evidence behind them. Years, decades of work. So they're often not wrong. Yeah, oh yeah. And this shouldn't give you fear. It should give you a sense of power because knowing all of this, this information is in our hands now and yeah. it's really up to people in 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 our generation and in the generation before us our parents the people in kind of power right now the people in in politics and in policy making right now it's in their hands and our yeah. hands to make these yeah. changes and it isn't all doom and gloom i i want to talk about this worst case scenario but in all seriousness the reality of all of these scenarios is that Andrew, you and I will be fine. Our kids will be fine. Our kids' kids will probably be fine because we live in the richest part of the world. The people that are going to suffer aren't us. It's people in the poorest parts of the world. In many places it's in the Equatorial areas where people don't need much to live. You know, yeah. it's warm. They only need so much food to survive because it is warm and they don't need insulation in their homes because they can't afford it anyway. It's those people who are going to suffer. People think that the world's going to be on fire. The world won't be on fire. Ireland will be fine. We're going to be grand. Ireland's going to be a little bit wetter. What? Really? <laughs> you're seriously
0: telling me we won't get a little bit more sunshine? It's it would get wetter It'll
1: it'll be wetter yeah. and it'll be we'll get more severe weather. But yeah. but the reality is I'm trying to get this point across that you're not gonna die because of climate change. It's gonna make your food more expensive and it's gonna make your insurance more expensive and it's gonna make everything like on, at that level more expensive but you're going to have all of the means to have still probably a very bountiful life yeah it's it is the effect on the the lower parts of society that we really need to pull up our pants and worry about in Mm. these major cities in these countries asia is one of the continents that's going to get hit super hard because of their Their yeah. population size over there, and and so we really need to think about yeah. this globally. And it's so hard.
0: It's just an observation, but I think looking at the generation just above me, like the people who are in their thirties onwards, and the generation just below yeah. me, I feel like there is a growing empathy in the in people. I I, th- I think that people younger than me are a lot more empathetic than I was at that age. I'm not saying I was unempathetic. I'm s i am think of myself as a very empathetic person, mm-hmm. but I talk to my younger cousins and they're brilliant. They're they're very connected to how people are feeling. Yeah. And that's a positive trend for this problem where you need to have empathy. And I think we can all look up and you look at the like the older generations where it's much more they care about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, not a bad trait. I think we should all care about ourselves. You know, it's important, but they don't have the same empathy for other nations, other people's problems. It's kind of, I feel like it's a growing thing among us. I don't want to ask, but I do. I kind of want you to go through that worst case scenario. I want to hear the hurt. Let let me get can in hand. Everyone listening at home, brace yourself. You know, think, think of happy kittens and then let Aiden make them cry. Let's go
1: okay here we go in 2020 despite past pledges the international support for the paris agreement starts to wane in the years that follow co2 emissions are reduced to the local and national level but efforts are limited and not always successful radiative forcing increases and global warming of 1.5 degrees celsius is reached by 2030 but no major changes in policies occur Starting with an intense El Niño-La Niña phase in the 2030s, several catastrophic years occur while global warming starts to approach 2 degrees Celsius. There are major heat waves on all continents, with deadly consequences in tropical regions and Asian megacities, especially for those ill-equipped for protecting themselves and their communities from the effects of extreme temperatures. Droughts occur in regions bordering the Mediterranean Sea, Central North America, and the Amazon region and southern Australia, some of which are due to natural variability and others due to enhanced greenhouse gas forcing. Intense flooding occurs in high latitudes and tropical regions, in wetlands and forests are destroyed over that period with massive disruption to local livelihoods. Multiple droughts in the US, Great Plains, in Eastern Europe and in Russia decrease global crop production, resulting in major increases in food price and eroding food security. Poverty levels increase to a very large scale and the risk and incidence of starvation increase considerably as food stores dwindle in most countries and human health suffers as a result. There are high levels of public unrest and political destabilisation due to the increasing climatic pressures, resulting in some countries becoming dysfunctional. The main countries responsible for the CO2 emissions design rapidly conceived mitigation plans and try to install plants for carbon capture and storage, in some cases without sufficient prior testing. Massive investments in renewable energy often happen too late and are uncoordinated. Energy prices soar as a result of the high demand and lack of infrastructure. Global mean warming reaches 3 degrees by 2100 but is not yet stabilised despite major decreases in yearly CO2 emissions as a net zero CO2 emissions could not yet be achieved due to the long lifespan of CO2 in the atmosphere. The world as it was in 2020 is no longer recognisable with decreasing life expectancy, reduced outdoor labour productivity and lower quality of life in many regions because of too frequent heatwaves and other climatic extremes. Droughts and stress in water sources renders agriculture economically unviable in some regions and causes increased poverty in those regions and major conflicts take place as a result. Almost all ecosystems experience irreversible impacts. Species extinction rates are high in all regions. Forest fires escalate and biodiversity strongly decreases, resulting in extensive losses to ecosystem services. These losses exacerbate poverty and reduce quality of life. Life for many indigenous and rural groups becomes untenable in their ancestral lands. The retreat of the West Antarctic ice sheet accelerates, leading to more rapid sea level rise. Several small island states give up hope of survival in their locations and look to an increasingly fragmented global community for refuge. Aggregate economic damages are substantial, owing to the combined effects of climate changes, political instability and losses of ecosystem services. The general health and well being of people is substantially reduced compared to the conditions in twenty twenty and continues to worsen over the following decades.
0: <laughs> Aidan, quick question for uh just, just regarding climate scientists and climate PhD students and everyone you've met. Yeah, are you all just not utterly depressed all of the time? No. No, Uh, great. I'm happy for you, but I I would be (laughs) in this
1: report there is an entire section, hundreds of pages, that very clearly details exactly what needs to be done. They go into every single region. They talk about specifically what each region and those cluster of countries could do with their economic stability, their economic capacity, what they can actually do to reduce their emissions and and they're talking about in a way that isn't going to really affect the overall health or well-being of people okay yeah. so it's not like the solutions aren't there that's why the science is there the science is there to show how good and how bad it can be and then what we need to do to find some sort of middle ground between science and policy and keeping people happy and preventing the world from getting too hot you know that middle scenario I think it's probably going to happen and we have to get ready and we can actually fall even closer to the best case scenario honestly one of the most amazing things that has happened over the past two years is that people have completely changed their lifestyles for the greater good of the entire globe you've locked yourself up in your house for in Ireland we've been in this mess for 18 months in a pandemic and the majority of us have done a fantastic job of limiting the amount of people that we see and we've done this pretty quickly and so of our countries they 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 realise that this is a huge problem and they enforce and so this pandemic is perfect example of and this is a lot more extreme because this thing kills people Yeah. climate change is a lot more of a silent thing and a lot more slower and, and it, it happens in, in these you know kind of freak events and over, over time but the last two years have shown that we have the capacity as a world as a global community to Incur huge change for sure, and it's not like we can't cause change.
0: There are really cool projects, right? So the main one that I found that I thought was really cool was Project Drawdown, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you sent me on to it. And it was it's fascinating because they they pretty much they're very interesting the way they talk about it because they I, I read some of the papers and stuff, and they're kind of like, look, lads, we can argue over the numbers all day, but the mm-hmm. ideas. Are fine. Like the ideas are good, and the ideas are ones that will make a difference, even if we can discuss the numbers. They came up with like a hundred things. What was it? A hundred solutions to climate change, in order,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and fantastic. Yeah, and I was like, that's awesome. That's so interesting. I was like, and then I was like, oh, I wonder what's number one. Probably some engine or some like cars or
1: bioreactors yeah nuclear thing waste and
0: then they were like nah man it's fridges
1: (laughs) what (laughs) I was just like
0: what and they were like yes yes fridges refrigeration it's because I think we think of climate change like oh raising CO2 levels but really it's whatever adds to the greenhouse effect and sadly Mm. for fridges and everything we do at fridges they use a lot of gases that are like CO2, non steroids. That's too gentle. It's like, I don't know, like billions of CO2s. They're just so much more potent. They're between mm-hmm. 1,000 to 9,000 times more effective at destroying the ozone layer than carbon oh dioxide. God. And they were like. So what's the alternative to use in a fridge? what they call it is that they need to bring in high tech refrigeration they need to increase mm-hmm. the technology it's not good enough to use these gases mm-hmm. and that they it it's just there's technology to be fixed there and brilliant you know and they're saying and there is high tech refrigeration the problem is right now it's expensive but like all things these things do eventually come down in price as you learn to do it better and better Mm -hmm. So that's okay. That's something. Uh, The next one was all about onshore wind power. And there are Mm -hmm. like wind energy is good, but it's not perfect because it's not dependable. Like wind is infinite, but it's not consistent. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, Absolutely. You know, you could have one day with a tornado and another day the leaves don't come off the tree. And. Mm. They were kind of saying there needs to be a another way of doing this and whether it is picking the places to put onshore wind turbines more particularly doing more research into that or even just increasing the efficiency of it because it takes a little bit of energy to use a wind turbine. And (laughs) the last thing you want is for this on a quiet day for this to become a negative to take out Mm. from the electricity supply.
1: And I think a problem that wind energy in particular is having is that even on a a day with no wind, it doesn't work. But actually, on a day with too much wind, it also doesn't work. So, like, you're like, there's so much wind, let's just, like, spin these bad boys, you know? But you can't because they can malfunction and everything inside it, it's very intricate, you know?
0: Yeah. And like with, with the refrigeration and with the winters, you're talking significant amounts of decreases and significant impacts on climate change. These are the two. They were like, look, if you fix these two things, that is the biggest two things you could fix to have an impact on climate change. Wow, I was reading that and I was like, really? Really? I'm surprised. I was so surprised. Um, Three and four are food related. Mm-hmm. So three mm-hmm. is getting rid of food waste. We're effectively, we're really good at producing food, but we're not good at producing the right amount of food. And making food is a process and it produces a lot of carbon waste. And a lot of it goes in the bin at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, McDonald's fry a lot of chicken nuggets that never make it into our meals, you know. And number four, and we we touched on this before in the second episode of season one in Bugs Are the Pest, about plant-rich diets, and not just plants, but insect diets, where we were kind of talking about how, hate to say it, but the people who are vegan have a point, you know? Uh, maybe mm-hmm. some of them are doing it because of the thoughts they have with animals, but from a sustainability point of view, it's massive, you know?
1: Mm-hmm something to add on on that third point about waste but actually using insects to break down organic waste and then using those to feed agriculture so instead of feeding agriculture with other animal feed you your animal feed is actually made from from bugs from from um, I think they're called like black soldier flies, or something like that, dude. and so you feed them with with the waste, you know like but then they turn it in and convert it into to their flesh, and then chickens eat them, and then we eat the chicken flesh, and we're happy with that It's crazy dude. so it's a way of converting the waste into into something that's safe yeah it, it is interesting to think about the last the, the, the
0: next one caught me off guard. The, the, the next two caught me off guard, to be honest. Okay. Because I think we have this image of climate change in our head. And the next two, number six, for the most impactful thing you could do for climate change, is educating women.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> to be honest, I was like, I don't think they produce COT. You know, I had this like. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. And they were saying that. There's this massive educational gap and that not so much now in the rich countries but again like you said Mm -hmm. we're in the 10% you're talking about 90% of women on earth likely get a lower education than men they get a lesser Mm -hmm. education and not only that but they're making the decisions at home Mm -hmm. and they're saying that because of this They might not be making decisions that could be good for climate change because they're just trying to get by and it's a ridiculous stance to say that, oh, they should know better. What the hell does that even mean? How could they know better if they're not educated? You know, that mm. you need to give them the opportunity. So there's a huge downstream patriarchal thing. And they were saying mm. it in the impact that this could have. They were saying that the savings and the return on investing in women was incalculable. Everything else, they had a calculation of how much they would save. But for this, they were like, it's incalculable. And it's because not only if you invest in educating more women, are you going to save on this climate change thing? But you're also increasing by 45% on the total number of people in the world who could contribute to solving these problems. Mm -hmm. You do not realize how powerful they can be. And because that's number six, and number seven is family planning. Again, it, it it just goes straight back to this where you saw this huge problem in China where they were producing so many little humans <laughs> and they were like oh gosh we have to make a like terrible almost a human rights violation to say hey don't have kids because mm-hmm. more people on earth will lead to more CO2 and a lot of this then goes back to educating women and making sure mm-hmm. that Women on earth are educated enough to stand up for themselves and to have a a civil relationship and to be able to say, look, lad, I don't want 15 children. (laughs) You know, there's a terrible patriarchal thing of it is the woman's job to be at home. And this is still in like rich countries. This is still a problem in Japan. There's a huge thing in Japan where it's gone full circle and now women are like, actually, I do not want to be with a man because that is not the life I want. Now there are these fully educated women who are looking at the idea of marriage and they're like, well, I'm letting go of all of my freedoms. So there needs to be an education here and this needs to be an education for men as well. I think there's a lot of men in poor countries that need the wake-up call of, no, no lad, you're going to have to take some responsibility.
1: Yeah, it's a lot deeper of an issue than we could ever know. And you know, we're almost coming across as if we're saying, "Oh, it's so easy. You just put everyone in schools." Like yeah. it's a lot it's a lot harder than oh, it's
0: that. It's a deeply complex issue.
1: It starts from the very very bottom and it's going to be so difficult. Yeah. But it is a possibility and it's it's important. It's important. And
0: it makes me mad sometimes because I think it's such a ancient stain on the modern world whenever any of these things come up. Because I I suppose things with like educating women or anything like that, it's very close to my research. And it's the same problem, just in a different tongue, you know. Anyway, I'll I'll move on before I get too angry. (laughs) The the, the last three for the top 10. Now, they have 100, but I'm not going to go past the top 10. Number eight and number ten are the use of solar panels and the effective use of solar panels because solar panels aren't perfect and they produce a butt ton of waste to make them. Yeah. So they're great, you know. Of course, what we we all dream of the future Dyson sphere that fuels our existence, but we're not there yet. <laughs> and essentially, yeah. eight and ten is saying, look, we can't make a Dyson sphere where we put solar panels all the way around the sun but we can at least improve the solar panel technology and that's essentially what they're saying they're saying that look if we all have solar panels on top of our houses it's renewable and the waste that is produced from making solar panels isn't so bad if they're long term alternatives the problem now is that they're a little bit delicate sometimes they can't be used as effectively on a wide scale. So it's not perfect. And number 9 is called silvopasture. What this is going back to is how farming cattle makes up so much of the problems on earth. There was a stat that I read that cattle and other ruminants require 30 to 45% of all of the world's arable land. Wow. And livestock produce roughly one-fifth of greenhouse gas emissions so we need to so we end up cutting down a ton of trees we eat some cows and altogether it produces a lot of problems again this is essentially this is literally saying guys just put cows in fields with trees <laughs> which sounds like it's such a funny sentence to say out loud but it's literally oh a, my
1: god like, wow like the, the way
0: they phrase it is conventional wisdom says cows and trees don't belong together <laughs> and you've I'd, I'd say you've never seen cows in a field with trees
1: <laughs> a farmer's probably like that's gonna be a pain in the ass but <laughs> but it might, it might save your entire sector
0: yeah but that's what they're saying. They're like, lads, literally mm-hmm. just plant trees in fields with cows. Like, of course, it's more complicated than that. I don't mean to play it down too much. But I, if I'm talking to the modern man, that's what I'm going to say. I'm like, wouldn't it be better for the environment if there were trees in the fields that you kept cows? And they'd go, yeah, probably. And what would be the problem? No idea. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Just do it.
1: <laughs> Point that I have there as well is um for the agriculture industry you can give out to people for having a meat-based diet. But I really think that it's up to governments and up to funding agencies to come up with alternatives. Like... The reason people have these traditional diets of Ireland, for example, we have this traditional meat yeah. and potato and <laughs> yeah. kind of like really basic carbohydrates and proteins and vegetable diet because of our, our history. And I think we can be brought out of this with education and all of the potential alternatives that are out there. We need to be shown them. They need to be not just a little corner in the supermarket. They need to be half the supermarket. Yeah, there has to be incentives.
0: You need to make Mm -hmm. it make sense. If you show me beef and it's like four burgers for six euro, or I could get a plant-based burger, same four burgers for three euro. If there was like a taxation to it where beef was more expensive, but the more renewable stuff wasn't, Like if there was a Mm. lower tax, those are the kind of incentives that you need to think about. It isn't good enough to Mm. put them all in the same bracket from a climate change
1: point of view. Man, I'm broke. (laughs) I would
0: definitely (laughs) consider it.
1: And we need it to be economical. And then we need it to make economical sense. And maybe one of the huge take-homes from what you're talking about is that doing these things are incredibly economical. Yeah, because if you think about the alternative the alternative is, is huge economic loss Yeah, and th- things are going to get super expensive to a point where you know you probably won't be able to go on your second holiday instead you're, <laughs> you're going to spend that on having your steak
0: you know what it was nice to finally talk about something where at least one of us were a bloody expert <laughs> 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 it was nice where we didn't have to go by the way Neither of us should be talking about this, but it was really refreshing, and it was also really insightful. I really hope people will come out of this episode hopefully feeling that they're more informed, because I feel more informed just listening to you, to be honest. I feel like I'm more aware, for better or worse. Probably better in the
1: long term, but for tonight, probably
0: a little worse.
1: But that's natural. I think the last thing I will say about this, to put people at ease, Yes, sir. is Andrew you can look at me now on this entire conversation you're you're petrified you're nervous and I'm not I'm calm and I'm calm for a reason I'm calm because I know that we can get out of this there are several different ways that we can reduce our emissions and do it in a way that is gonna benefit us we might even make money we might continue to be able to grow economically from benefiting from changing a bit so everyone don't worry about climate change get informed a bit more and think about this change to make an, an impact here reducing your carbon footprint
0: that was shockingly comforting thank you aiden
1: this is the end of the podcast we hope you enjoyed your time if you feel generous and you're not completely skin, why don't you give us some of your money? Join our pay, Join our pay, Join our pay, Join our pay.